baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. You're listening to the Dana and Parks podcast on KMBZ. So if you've listened to this program at any length, you know that Dana and I have been friends for over two decades. We're obsessed with serial killers. I mean, I'm just going <laughs> to I'm just going to say it. We're obsessed with serial killers. Not in a weird way, in in a way that we want to understand <laughs> in a healthy way. More about As if- one can be yes. health, healthily obsessed with serial killing. Yes. Um, but we were unaware, and this one kind of caught us off guard, the Bender family of southern Kansas. And we were talking about this family last week. May have been the first serial killing family in the state of Kansas. Yeah. And we didn't know anything about them. And we wanted to learn more about them. And so we went to the experts. Yes. And by we, I said to Scott, oh, we're having these people on because I got to hear about this. And so we welcome to the program Dr. Blair Schneider with the Kansas Geological Survey and Dr. Lauren Norman with KU's Anthropology Department. I want you to first explain where this site is located and what is it and why are you now looking there? This is somewhere outside of Parsons. We'll start with you, Dr. Blair. Who were the Benders? All right. So the Benders were a family. Uh, they first got to Kansas. Uh, the, the the men did. Um, got to Kansas around 1870. Okay. Set up the site. So Ma and Kate came in around 1871. Okay. And they lived at this homestead uh, for about two years. Okay. Um, they had their cabin was supposedly right off of the Osage Trail. Yep. So people would come and visit there and stop um, to... Stay for the night, get a bite to eat, um, and unfortunately, some folks who came to stay there would meet a pretty gruesome death. Um, and we know this how? Because they were found. So in 1873, finally caught up that a lot of people who were traveling along the Osage Trail were, were not making it to their end destinations, um, and rumors had gone around, and so the whole town, many of the town actually came to, oh, and then a famous doctor, Dr. York's brother, uh, who was a senator, actually came looking for his brother. So a Dr. York comes to the Bender Inn and does not make it to his destination. And then some eyebrows start being raised, like what, what is going on at this inn? Correct, Dr. Norman? Yeah, yeah. And so what, what, tell us a little bit about Dr. York. Was he the case that kind of straw that broke the camel's back? Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of the Hang on one second. Bring your mic up. There we go. Um, I'm going to let you go, and then we'll try to get this mic up. Hang on a second. Okay, so... Dr. York um, came in. Oh, gosh, I forgot the question. I was going to well, the mic. Well, what, what was York the one that the straw that broke the camel's back? Yes, yes, York was. And actually, if I'm remembering correctly, Lauren, York had a child too, right? Yeah. Yeah, so there was a child involved in that uh, as well. Yeah. Two of the victims had so, a child. So Dr. York does not make it to his destination. His brother shows up and is like, where is Dr. York? Where is this child? And what do they eventually find on this property? You want yeah. to take that one? Yeah, so they go out there and they start smelling things, really, yeah. is the, kind of the the 
historical documents, the newspapers at the time say. And so they bring out a search party and they start kind of poking the ground. Um, then they and they start kind of kind of poking the ground. Um, then they and they start kind of finding burials more than Dr. York. They find eventually 11 burials um, on this homestead. Um, yeah. They noticed that the animals hadn't been cared for in a while. That was one of the other indicators. And when they opened up the, they went into the cabin, they discovered a secret uh, trap door to a cellar. Yeah. So tell us about this trap door. People, yeah, did, oh yes, Pe- people would swing by to get a bite to eat at this inn. And this is by Parsons, Kansas. And they sit down at the dinner table to have a bite to eat. And then what happens? Well, there's a sheet behind them. It's a one room house and there's a sheet behind them and out from the sheet comes someone with a hammer, knocks them on the head, and they yep. open the trap door and they fall down onto a limestone slab. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, if needed, they would also. This is the stuff of modern day horror movies, and it really happened in the late 1800s near Parsons, Kansas. Yes. Yeah. So the townspeople come in, find the trap door, find blood. And then eventually start finding up to 11 sets of remains. And actually, if you look at the newspapers at the time, this was a thing like people from all around Kansas came to see this. Like with like pitchforks and fire and more so it was almost so like wait, with wait, wait. for photos. So people, I mean, so people knew about this. People knew about it. Yeah. Well, so it started getting reported in the newspapers after they found them. And, you know, the benders, the people who were doing this escaped and weren't found. Um, what, do you, what do you mean they escaped? Where, where, where did they go? That's a great know. question. There are there are rumors that there some that mobs caught up to them um, and took care of them, and it was just all left to a secret right. that have never been proven. But the reporting back in the late eighteen hundreds would have been spotty on this, Scott. They mm-hmm. don't they don't really know. That's part of this great mm-hmm. mystery. Yeah. Can you yeah. tell us what was the motive for this family? So it was Kate, her husband, and was there an adult son? Maybe yes, John. What was the motive for these serial killing family innkeepers? To murder everyone passing through this town. They didn't murder everyone. Uh, So that's the thing is we don't know the motive per se, but what we can say about the victims that came up is that it tended to be single men. Um, And it does seem like they were robbed. So Mm -hmm. it does seem like potentially the motive was to rob and take their their animals, take their their jewelry, their clothing and stuff like that. But in their wagons in their wagons. Um, There's rumors that, you know, some neighbors were involved. You know, the horses would be taken there. They would sell them off, that kind of a thing. Um, but no real motive exactly. Can you, can you explain how big was this homestead? So when I say like, I have a neighbor, they're like 20 yards to my right. Were there people that thought that stay away from Kate Bender? She cray. Or were, were, were like, is it, <laughs> is it like acres and acres and acres away from the nearest place where you wouldn't really know maybe what was going on there? Cause you guys have been out there. I'm, I'm guesstimating here probably half a mile yep. between houses. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So not super, no, not super close. And their cabin was like 18 feet by 18 by 24 or something like that. Not a large size cabin that had all four of them living in there. Does the cabin still exist? No. So this is an interesting thing as well. At this time, people were just as interested in serial killers and gruesome murders as we are today. (laughs) So when this got out into the newspapers, it became a national sensation. People came all the way from New York. Was it a scandal? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. And they came all the way from New York to be tourists at this site. Mm-hmm. And so when they were there, they took things as tourists yeah. do and they wanted souvenirs. Oh, my gosh. 
So what became of the cabin? And then we will get to modern day science uh, that's going to help you guys uncover what's really probably buried below. It sounds like most of the cabin was pretty much picked apart, and it sounds like maybe some other parts of it were also burned down. Um, they they didn't want that remnant there. They didn't want that history there. Sure. Um, so it was it was Who, who's, they, who's they townsfolk. They they just burned the the building the house to the ground. Yeah, that's yeah. the that's the murder house. You know, people keep coming by looky loos. Maybe it's time to knock down the murder house. Yeah, okay. Because like, then there was a there's a barn but, and a horse crown and other stuff nearby, so they burned it all down. But, but you but you're telling me that, that this was such a national story. Right. I think we use the word scandal mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yet nobody came to arrest them. You so didn't this, have the same level of like information yeah. transfer back in the 1870s right. that you do today. Well, and, and this is, you know, it's a really interesting time kind of on the Western frontier. Right. Like so this is Kansas is a new, you know, new frontier, new mm-hmm. state. You've got kind of Indian territory to the south. You've got to the west kind of nothing. And so you're at the you're at the edge of what law enforcement can do. Even, you know, people had suspicions about this for for a year or so and nothing happened until finally Dr. York was murdered. And and Scott, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, by the time Dr. York's family came looking for him, the benders were already gone. Yeah. It's not like they found all these bodies and said, Oh, I wonder what happened here. And then the benders just Yeah. They had already fled in the dark of night. Never to be seen or or heard from again. And so Fast forward to this article then we see in Channel uh, 41's website that the University of Kansas, in, in conjunction with the geological survey, you guys are out there planting little flags and digging, looking for... Not digging yet. What? Or, or brushing, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> looking for what? Because the cabin was burned down. You don't even really know when you go out there where the cabin was. Yeah, exactly. And so we kind of had, we have the information we have. We know it's in this general area. Um, we know the Bender Mounds uh, place mark. Um, so you were like, okay, there's a general area here, but let's start with geophysics. So that's what I do. I'm a geophysicist. I use non-invasive technologies to like x-ray. Think of like x-raying the ground, mm-hmm. right? And don't have to dig. We set up a 200 meter by 100 meter grid um, with six amazing students um, and we scan. Please do not talk about meters. <laughs> with Dana. How big is this football field? So, so one Speak meter. Speak only in yards. One meter is like three point three feet. Okay. So you're talking about like six hundred feet yep. by. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. So she does large, not do, she does not do large meters. area. I admittedly like don't know the size of a football field either. So because I only do meters. So so large area, and you start. Looking. Yes. We ran magnetics. We ran uh, electrical conductivity, electroresistivity, um, and got a huge, huge amount of um, data collected. And honestly, we weren't sure if we were going to see anything. Um, But like at the very end of it, we got a huge hit in the southeast corner of our grid. Well, and you also did pedestrian survey. So this, so this, since the, it's kind of been burnt to the ground and forgotten, it's been uh, plowed and uh, agriculture has happened there for at least 80 years. And so um, artifacts are starting to come up to the surface. Yeah, Bob, and- the landowner, has some amazing artifacts that he's come across. But they, we start by doing, that was all the little flags in the ground were. We just walked along and we collected um, over 600 artifacts, but we recorded over 1,000 of them. And when you say, Dr. Norman, you got a, quote, huge hit, uh, what does that mean? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like when they're looking for the Titanic, they they start to see, oh my gosh, we have something. What does that mean in archaeological terms? Yeah, so uh, you know, I'll let Blair talk to this because she, she's done a lot of the data on this. But it means that 
you know, what we're looking for is something that's different than the material under the soil. So we know what the material, like the sand and the clay and the dirt mm -hmm. looks like. Um, and does something look different? And, and so I'll let Blair. Yeah, exactly. So if things have been burned down, they would show up as a little like, like magnetic high. Um, and so we've got this circular shape with these little dots that I think might be post holes. And then actually right to the north of it, that's when I say that huge hit, uh, magnetic high, high magnetic values. It's like 10 meters long. Um, I don't know what that was, so 30 feet. Um, I wow. don't know what that one is. And so those are going to be areas of um, potential excavation. And inside this circular feature, there's another smaller circular feature that I think could be a well. That's interesting to me because if it is a well, well, a well is one place where they did find victims. Um, so this could be a spot. Okay, so where do we go from here? We're going to take a quick break. And then Bob Miller, the landowner. How would you like to be the landowner knowing <laughs> that you're digging for what you're searching for? Fourth, I mean, it, it is what it is, and he wants to know what is under the soil. This is fascinating. Doctors Blair Schneider, Schneider, beg your pardon, uh, and Dr. Lauren Norman joining us in it's studio. Like real-life Dateline happening right here with KU. Bo both from KU. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment here on Dana and Parks. This is fun. <laughs> We're going to start a podcast. Yeah. We decided 10 minutes ago. I love this so much. Uh, so, by the way, if you're just now joining us, the Bender family got their name as the Bloody Benders because back in the 1870s, all of these travelers who stopped by their inn in uh, far southeastern Kansas never left. We know at least 11 people were murdered. And the current landowner is a gentleman by the name of Bob Miller. And Bob reaches out... <laughs> And basically connects with Dr. Schneider here and Dr. Norman and says, come see what you can find out about what happened here. And Bob, we are thrilled that you are able to join us today. Hello. Hello. Are you surprised it took this long for anyone to actually go down and start digging, as infamous as this case was? Well, this, this whole story started back in the 1970s when Cherryville, Kansas used to have a replica cabin over there as a tourist attraction, and I became intrigued with the story. And then when I heard the land was going to be for sale in 2020, I thought, well, I'm going to go over there and see who buys that property. And lo and behold, I'm the one that ended up buying it. And it was mainly to satisfy my interest in history and curiosity of where all this happened, because no one has really researched that at all, period, over all the years. And it had been the same family for over 80 years, and I figured this is a chance to uh, actually try and unravel uh, this mystery uh, as much as we can or add to the story. And uh, I reached out to KU, and fortunately they were interested in uh, uh, becoming partners on this project. And one thing's led to another, and they've done a great job so far, and we, there's a whole lot more planned on seeing where we can locate possibly where the cabin was, the uh, horse barn, the wells, the outhouse, uh, perhaps the grave sites, or maybe even find other bodies if there's still uh, some other bodies under there that weren't found back in the 1870s. What, what are some of the artifacts you have found? They mentioned artifacts, Bob. This was on the surface, uh, and it's all within a certain area within a, probably an acre or two or three of land. It's uh, pieces of glazed pottery, uh, glass, a lot of it has kind of that purple tint to it uh, from that period. Uh, we found some uh, little pieces of uh, dishware, that blue willow pattern. Uh, then with a, 
metal detectors, we found uh, a lot of things uh, like square nails, uh, some nuts and bolts, and uh, a variety of different metal pieces. And it's all in the same area. And the farmer that farms the land, which is 160 acres, says he this is the only area that he's ever seen anything like that, too. So that's the area of primary interest, you would tend to think, that uh, it obviously is signs of human activity. Now, exactly what? That's what we're going to try and do with the KU's technology and, and their team of uh, students to try and dig and see what we can come up with, whether the ground been hiding for 150 years. Doctors, um, Bob mentioned nails and pottery in a one-acre uh, area. W why is that even remotely important? Yeah, so uh, square-headed nails are ones that are handmade, right? So they would have been made, you know, at a specific time. Pottery is the same way. You know, we have trends, and back in the, the 150 years, 200 years ago, they would have had trends too. So we can tell... Based on that, and Bob also mentioned the purple glass. So it would have been clear at the time of manufacture, and then over the uh, exposure to sun, it turns purple. And this is because of how it's made, and it was only made like that for about a decade or so. And so we can tell that the artifacts that are coming out of the ground are from that time period, from the 1870s, from the 1860s or 1870s. Okay. So as you are doing the excavating, though, this very well could be, well, it is the site of multiple murders. This is it considered a crime scene even today? That's a good question. That's a good question. And I think we had this discussion about whether to call it forensics or not, because it's a it's 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 known crime scene, you know, but it's 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 old. Uh, so it's 150 years. Our legal obligations to if we find anything are to go to the sheriff, everything, every um, remains that are unknown go through the sheriff's office, and if they deem them to be archaeological, then they go to the State Archaeology Society. Do, do you have to tell them, like, obviously you live in Lawrence, but when you go down to Parsons, do you have to tell the sheriff, hey, we're coming, uh, we're coming? Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. And we're going to find some dead bodies. We tell them we're coming and that that's a possibility. Yeah. So that they're in the loop and they know that like we might call them all of a sudden being like, you got to get here right now. Because if we came across something that even appeared to resemble human bone, we stop immediately. Okay. And then how long do you think this is going to take, doctors? Like you could be out there six weeks or years. Yeah. Yeah. In all honesty, this will probably take a few years. Yeah. Archaeology is slow, which is, you know, a bit annoying to everybody involved. But um, uh, Blair was out this summer uh, and found some areas to dig. I'm going to go back with some students uh, or people who are interested in doing this uh, in the, in May. We're going to spend a couple weeks out there. Blair's going back again to do a little bit more of her x-ray of the ground. And we'll probably be back then the summer following and probably a few more uh, just to see what we can find. Will, and you, will you guys all stick around? I have a couple more questions. Like I know people are probably wondering why not just take a backhoe in there and dig everything up and just boom, see what pops up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the the next question I have is, why have you guys not written a book? 
Because <laughs> we just started and yeah. it requires time. <laughs> yeah, 913-586-7798. We will do Festivus Friday coming up right after the 5 o'clock news, the airing of the grievances here on Dana and Parks. So the story from Channel 41 reads as follows, uh, and the dateline is Lawrence. On the surface, you might only see weeds, dirt, crops, but in the small town of Cherryvale, Kansas, acres of land could be home to one of the biggest untold murder mysteries in the Old West. The Bender family got their name as the Bloody Benders because back in the 1870s, many travelers who stopped by, they never left. At least 11 people were murdered. Joining us in studio, two people who are investigating and looking into what may be the first serial killers of Kansas, Drs. Lauren Norman and Dr. Blair Schneider, both from the University of Kansas. Outside of the obvious, uh, the finding of victims and the identifying of other victims that they may not have had the tools to excavate at the time, what historical significance could lie between the dirt when you go in and really start excavating? Th things that we would see in a museum. What what do you hope to find? Because no one wants to say they hope to find bodies or remains. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah, and so I've been thinking about this a little bit because this is such an interesting time. We don't know much based on the archaeology about this time period in Kansas. There's very little work that has ever been done on this kind of frontier aspect of it and and how people lived at the homestead. So even though they're a kind of serial killer family, um, they would have had to live, you know, where is, are their goods coming from? Are they kind of high class, low class? Yeah. They were on this Osage Trail, so we could talk a little bit about what happened on the Osage Trail, who traveled there, what were they supplying to people? So how were they kind of networked with this expansion of the U.S. that was happening? There's a photo of uh, 11 sets of remains covered in burlap or tarp, Scott, 11 different sets. Mm -hmm. It looks like the entire town, men are dressed in their Sunday best, women are in dresses and parasols. Th this was like an event when they uncovered that this had been going on in this homestead. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, people came from as far away as New York to be tourists at this site. Uh, and, and that's another interesting thing that was happening at this time. There was a lot of mysticism and communing with the dead. And, and so people came and, and were really, really interested. They camped on site. It became family affairs to take picnics there. And oh also, Kate Kate had advertisements, Kate Bender, in the newspaper for, like, psychic abilities, medicinal um, healing factors. So Kate, Kate being the wife. Uh, the daughter. The daughter. Okay. The daughter. So how has this story sort of... Been well, buried. Yes. Well, for lack of... <laughs> for this whole time. Really? How do we not know? I mean, this is a real-life archaeological experiment for the students, mm -hmm. which it, in a way that is just... You couldn't have scripted this. For the students, but then also, how is this but so how has it hidden? Gotten lost? How, how has it gotten lost in history? There's a lot of archaeological sites that have gotten lost in history. I mean, it depends on where, where you are, how the information gets out. There's actually quite a few books that have been written on the site. A brand new one just came out. It, it, 
Hills Half Acre, is that correct? No, uh, I forget which. I'm going to forget the name of it, too. A brand new book that just came out that was really detailing uh, this story. So it's just kind of a... In Cherryvale, the, the town has had bender days for, you know, they've stopped them <laughs> now. What do you mean, bender days? It's like a festival. That's right. Yeah, they've stopped them for the last 20 years or so. Yeah. But for a while, it's what got Bob invested and interested in the site. Um, yeah. But they, they would have a festival to honor or commemorate sort of. That's what I mean. It's kind of what they're known for in that area. I hate to say it. There's a little museum. Yeah, and there used to be a replica of the house. I think that's one of the reasons why many of the the townsfolk actually wanted to stop the Bender days is because they don't want to sensationalize uh, the family in this way. They really more so want to honor the victims and try to figure out who was there. So how did you guys get involved in this, and and what do you hope to get from it? Obviously, there's the academic um, work that goes into this, but, I mean, are are you working on a movie? Are you working on a book? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nope. No, not yet. Uh, we're, you know, I'm interested in it because it brings students. It's such an interesting story. I really like Bob's aspect of he really wants to uh, honor the victims and see yep. what we can say about the victims. And that's a really interesting way into this story. It gives our students a ton of experience here in Kansas. Most of our students are can- from Kansas. Yep. And, you know, this is a really interesting story. Like, how can we tell our story about the victims in this larger context of Kansas and the kind of the frontier community. Um, and I think, you know, eventually we want to publish something about it and maybe do some documentary and series. If, if you're in geology or archaeology, this this is, I hate to say it, it's a gold mine. And I'm, I'm sure other archaeologists are now saying, whoa, whoa, like we, we want to get in on this. And and Bob, I want to bring you back on in as the, the landowner and really the, the one who got all of this rolling by saying we, we need to figure out what happened here. What, what do you hope to, to find, specifically if there are other victims there? Um, I don't even know that they know the identities of all of the original 11 victims. Um, what, what do you hope to do with that information? Well, we don't know all the, who all the victims were. There were at least four of the victims were Civil War veterans because uh, this was an area where men were coming out to stake land claims or buy land for a dollar and a quarter an acre back then. And they had a lot of money on them. Of course, that was one of the reasons the vendors wanted to go after them uh, was for the money. But ultimately, what I'd like is to, if we can dig and add to the story, we may find other human remains and may identify uh, some of the victims and and, uh, lead to some closure for their descendants, may be able to identify some people that weren't even identified before through DNA, Mm -hmm. through uh, uh, descendants that are out there. So we just don't know until we start digging and, and seeing what technology can uh, show us. Is there a code with archaeologists? Like the two of you are in Cherryvale, Kansas. And Bob, hang on just a second. You guys are looking into the Bender family and the serial murders. Can another archaeologist come down and kind of like poach your territory? <laughs> or, or do you guys like hey, ladies. come out with guns a-blazing going, get off our lawn? Uh, this is Bob's property, so Bob makes all the calls. Good. Um, we are, honestly, though, we would be happy to collaborate. Um, this is a lot That's of work. a lot of work. There's no, you know, funding for it. Yeah, you're not getting paid for this. Um, yeah, we don't get paid much to teach the classes either. So, like, um, <laughs> so... It's just one of those things where, like, I do this work because I really like trying to find closure. Like, yeah. that's what my research is about. It's trying to find closure and trying to work with underserved communities, which is what I feel like these victims were. So 
I hate dumb questions, but here goes Dana. Uh, we, we ask a lot. Why not bring a backhoe in and just dig on down and see what you find? And really, I understand for your purposes why you wouldn't do that. But why didn't someone do that 50 years ago or 80 years ago once the technology existed to really get in and dig if this, you know, folklore has been around so long? So if you didn't know where the site was, you just had a general area uh, 50 years ago. It would cost a lot of money still to bring in a backhoe. It was being used as farmland, so now you take away someone's income source. Got it. Um, so, yeah, I don't yeah. I don't know most people who'd want to do that. Yeah, and, and archaeology is not just about what you find. It's not just about the arc, uh, artifacts, but what context they're in. So even if we did a backhoe and found, say, human remains, what you know, we'd find out much more about that person uh, uh, and how they're positioned or what artifacts are around them, what they were buried with. Um, so we don't want to, we want to do it kind of carefully. Yeah. And, and you have identified or not identified 11 victims? Those, no, no, no. So those, those were the original 11 that the townspeople discovered. Okay, so. Yes. Ha have they been, the 11 people been identified or is that just a rumor? Not all of them have been identified. Okay. You, you don't are they two. like in a potter's field somewhere? I don't even know that. Yeah, we're not we're not sure where all of them ended up either. Um, I was my guess was like probably maybe a potter's field or local cemetery, maybe around Parsons. Or you Cherryville. think there's more than eleven? There were more disappearances along the Osage yeah. Trail, um, and we know that not all of the victims were found um, in this. One was found in a stream nearby, yeah. um, and so so yeah, we don't. There's, it's likely that there are more victims out there, and it's probable that there's more bodies on the on the property. It's such important work, and it's such interesting work. And and you are sorry that it started with such heartbreak. I mean, there has that. How do you guys view that? Um, your your science mind versus your heart. I mean, one of the mm -hmm. victims was a child. It's kind yeah. of one of the reasons why you do it, though. Mm -hmm. um, again, it's about closure. It's about figuring out who that was. Um, when I work in, when I work with uh, different communities, it's if you find out who someone was, okay, then who are their descendants? Close like yes, full circle. You don't just stop there. Mm -hmm. um, so it's about finding that closure. And and you know, there's been so much talk about the benders. Like you look at there was like this really terrible movie about them, and the books are all about the benders and who they were. And so archaeology can really look at those people that didn't write history, that weren't yes. the most famous, right? The, the archeo that's what archaeology is good at, looking at that the people who are, are, the, are poor, are of lower class, were on these trails to try to make their name um, that we don't know much about. So that's- Try to make a better life. That's right. Yep. Hmm. Have you ever dug up a dinosaur? Archaeologists don't do dinosaurs. Sorry. That's what geologists do. <laughs> no, seriously, we, we told you we ask stupid questions. Have, then have, get, get have, ready. Here have, comes have you, Dr. Schneider, ever dug up a dinosaur? I have not. I've only worked with uh, like quaternary age animals. Okay. I don't even know what that is. No, like ice age, Got ice it. age animals. Fully mammoth? Uh, I actually have worked with some mammoth samples. That's up high. Yep. Yeah. That's See, funny. I'm not that dumb. <laughs> I have a lot of dinosaur samples at the KGS that I like to show off at outreach events, but I did not excavate them. I love this. And what a great recruiting tool. Anyone listening whose child is even remotely have a wonderful interested weekend. in geology or anthropology, this is why you do the work that you do. Yeah. yeah. And also maybe a woolly mammoth. Have you ever dug up a caveman? No. <laughs> uh, well, yes. Depends on how old you're going to talk about. But yeah, I work, my other work is looking at a site that's 25,000 years old. Wow. So. Saber-toothed tiger? Uh, we didn't have them up there, but uh, American cheetah. 
an American cheetah. Cheetahs existed in the Americas. Probably why pronghorns are so fast, because they were chased by cheetahs. And we, yes, I have dug up a cheetah. Fascinating. What did she just say? I, I just, prong I love. Horns? What, what's a just, pronghorn? Like the antelope. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for coming today. I think the only other time I've ever been anywhere near like an anthropologist is watching Friends and Ross. I mean, honestly, I this is oh, fascinating. Oh, man, he's a paleontologist. Sorry, oh, God, I screwed up again. <laughs> <laughs> Will you keep us posted this on is, your... This is going south fast. <laughs> Will you please keep us posted on your progress? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, oh, my gosh, our thanks to Dr. Schneider, Dr. Norman, and Bob Miller for joining us. Please keep us posted on what you find out there. And please tell everybody the paleontology department that we said hello. <laughs> Shall do. Yeah, shall do. Yeah. Thank you. Swing and a miss. (laughs) Quick break. We've got Festivus Friday coming your way right after 5 o'clock here on Dana and Parks. Yeah, old Ross, the archaeologist from Friends. Apparently a paleontologist. Did I mention that we did not have to have a science credit uh, in the journalism school? No, nor did we have to have a uh, a math credit. <laughs> Dana, you may recall. Are you just fascinated by this like I am? Oh, I, I think, you know what I find fascinating about this, in, in all seriousness, is we hear stories about like Jack the Ripper. Yes. Okay, which is from the 1870s in England, in London, East Side. Yes. And yet... Stories like this, the Bender family out of Southeast Kansas, just for whatever reason, for people like Dr. Blair and Dr. Lauren, these are stories that they know, right? Yeah. But you and I... Have no idea. And and the vast majority of people have never heard of the Bender family of Cherryvale, Kansas. And yet we've heard of Jack the Ripper. You and I read... A mind-blowing amount of material every single day of our lives for this program. That's why it was so fascinating when I first saw it. Right. I was like, "Wait, what? Who?" And 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 for two people who I don't, I don't want to say that yeah, I don't like the word fascinating. Yeah, it's it's not right. It's not fair for two people who spend an inordinate amount of time reading up on serial killers. For me never to have heard of the Benders in Cherryvale, Kansas, um, is, uh, quite frankly, it's shocking. In that tiny town museum, by the way, there are several hammers, the Bender hammers, that were reportedly found on that site when the townspeople found the they, initial they 11 sets of the, remains. These are the murder weapons. Yep. Okay. Um, one of the knives that Dr. York's brother uncovered along with his brother's remains is on display at the Kansas um, State Historical Society. So there are bits and pieces of the story to be found, I think, in in museums or mm-hmm. in certainly this tiny museum in Cherryvale. Um, you know, there's old newspaper articles and photos, but outside of that, I mean. And and why did this not? I mean, but why did it happen? Let's let's just ask this. I mean, obviously, robbery is is a motive, I suppose. Okay. But, well, but, but you would have to have two elderly people live there. Ma and Pa Bender live there. John Bender Sr. Plus the daughter Kate. Right. Plus Kate's either son or brother. So four adults would have had to have agreed, let's start 
this in where people could come in for goods and services and a, and a warm meal in a cot. Nobody grow a conscience. Yep, no, and then we are all going to gr- agree that mm-hmm. we are going to ball peen hammer people to death in the 1870s. How does that happen in the and, 1870s? And, and all four of us are going to keep our mouths shut. We are not going to talk about this. We're not going to rat each other out. We're going to kill people. And all four of us are going to shut up. Our thanks to both doctors and as well to Bob Miller. Uh, none of this would have happened without Bob Miller stepping up and saying, you know what, I'm going to buy that land and we are going to figure this out. Uh, Dr. Laura Norman and Dr. Blair Schneider, as well as Bob Miller, thank you, thank you for joining us today. We'll keep you updated on the case on Dana and Parks. Thanks for listening to the Dana and Parks podcast. Remember, you can catch us online anytime at KMBZ.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.